to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today, we'll be joined by John Johnson and Andrew Pearl of RBC to discuss farm financing and current agricultural markets. John is a director with the Derivative Solutions Group at RBC Capital Markets. He has over 20 years experience in the financial industry in various roles in Canada and abroad. He started in his current role after having spent four years in group risk management, where he was senior manager of trade credit risk compliance team. Prior to joining RBC in 2003, John worked for four years at BNP Paribas in London, the UK, and Hong Kong. Since joining the Derivative Solutions Group, he has partnered with Canadian Banking and proposals and, and presentations to create derivative solutions for clients in both the private and public sector. John holds a BA in honors in international relations with French and MSc in computer science from the University of Kent in the UK. John is an active member in the community and is one of the founding members of the RBC Academy, a new initiative focused on educating at-risk youth about careers in financial services. Andrew is the Senior Agricultural Account Manager serving Atlantic Canada with RBC Commercial Financial Services. Andrew grew up farming in the Annapolis Valley. In 1997, he graduated from the Nova Scotia Agricultural College with a BSc Agriculture and Animal Science. After working as a grain buyer in the feed industry for years, he changed career paths and started as an Agricultural Account Manager with RBC in 2001. Servicing a diverse agricultural clientele throughout Nova Scotia for 13 years. In 2014, his role changed to focus on commercial agriculture and agribusiness through Atlantic Canada. In addition to his BSc, Andrew holds a professional agrologist designation. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Excellent. Yeah, no, looking very forward to this conversation. My focus is around business management and economics. So anytime I get a chance to talk to some agri folks like you, I appreciate it on the farm financing side. Andrew, we'll start with you. Uh, we work with you fairly closely here in the office. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and what your role is with RBC, especially related to agriculture. Thanks, Brad. My role is I work with agricultural customers, agribusiness customers. I provide banking needs. That's lending, cash management, foreign exchange, anything that can be related to banking. I have a select number of customers that I service through Atlantic Canada. I work with six other commercial account managers through Atlantic Canada located throughout. And then we have a full team of what we call business account managers who would work more on the small business side that are located throughout the branches in Atlantic Canada. So our focus is to service our agricultural customers to the best of our ability. And John, how about you? It looks like you're joining us from the GTA area today. So thanks, Brad. So basically, I work in a group called the Derivative Solutions Group in our Capital Markets Division of RBC. I actually work on the trading floor, and I work with bankers like Andrew right across the country, whether it's in agriculture, real estate, across a whole different variety of sectors. You know, agriculture is one of our most significant sort of sectors. And what I do is I work with relationship managers like Andrew and their clients to put in place interest rate risk management solutions. How can we help our clients manage their interest rate costs in a way that's cost efficient over the long term and give them solutions that not just work with the way they want to draw money and the way they want to repay money and keep their costs down overall. Excellent. Thanks, Jens. I think that's going to help us guide our conversation a little bit. So the ag industry, I think we can all agree, can be volatile in nature, definitely cyclical as far as pricing. Farmers face a lot of risks that other businesses don't 
typically face. And I'm thinking things like disease risks or weather risk. And maybe Andrew, maybe we'll start with a little bit with a, a regional or provincial perspective with you. How do you guys perceive the ag industry as far as the banking side of the business goes? We look at the agricultural industry as a growing market. We understand the cyclicalities of it. And we also understand that the management within those businesses work their way through cyclicalities or ebbs and flows. Prices can go down, et cetera. We base our lending off a certain period of time. Some businesses that don't have cyclicality maybe uh, as much, like dairy, we would look at it on a, a one-year basis. Whereas if you're non-supply managed, we would actually do a three-year average. Just to take the cyclicality away and, and normalize what might be a peak or, or a low of annual cash flow. That helps us better structure loans. No, I mean, Andrew, I think it might be also important to kind of say how bankers, a lot of them have strong ties actually into agriculture itself. Yeah. So you're not just bankers. I mean, the one difference about your sector is how close you guys are actually to that ag community, you know, whether you do agriculture yourself and that yep. definitely gives you a better insight versus say another banker who's covering a corporation. Yeah. I, it's okay. funny. I think Andrew and I have had this conversation quite a bit over maybe the last five or six years, N not to take anything away from bankers, but you can study pretty hard and become a banker and learn financial ratios and lending products with a specific bank. But it's really hard to teach somebody farm lingo and and how to interact with the farm community. And I think banks in particular, at least in the Atlantic region, from my perspective, have done a really good job of engaging and hiring folks like Andrew and, and Jamie. And RBC is an example. Folks like Andrew and some of his team have done a really good job bringing those folks with some very good ag background, whether it's production or other business service, bringing them into the fold to work with farmers for sure. When you look, as I said, I cover interest rate risk management across so many different sectors. And just the difference in perspective when it comes to the agricultural sector in terms of clients really have skin in the game. It's generational. This is not a five-year project where you're selling after five years. This is, this is something that is generational. So a wealth growth, it's really tied to 25, 30 years of outlook, right? And that for me has always struck me as, you know, one of the key kind of differences in how this sector should be approached and is approached by us, especially, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a really good lead into kind of where I wanted to guide the conversation to next is what does the future outlook of agriculture look like from your perspective? Is it an industry that RBC is committed to? I know we've talked a little bit about supply managed versus non-supply managed sectors. What do you guys see as some of those economic drivers in agriculture over the next 5, 10, 20 years, especially as we see more and more generational transfer within farms? What you're going to see over the next number of years is some consolidation within the industries. That's what we've seen over the last 10, 20 years, and I think we're going to continue to see that. That's not going to take away from some of the family-run operations or smaller operations. They'll continue to thrive. I think agriculture is a strong staple in Atlantic Canada and throughout Canada, and will continue to grow. That's really what I would have as a perspective on it. How do those lending needs change maybe between a small producer, say, uh, you know, I'm thinking just kind of 
a family-run 60 or 70 cow beef herd into a more commercial size beef herd that may be 300 cows or even on the dairy side when you get into that 150 to 200 kgs of quota which is the more normalized size dairy farm in the province like how are lending products different how are they different between sizes how are they different between even business structures and and how do you guys manage that with your producers i don't want to necessarily say that they're looked upon different or there's different products for them. Normally, when we look at providing financing to any firm, large or small, the products that we look at, very common products, overdraft, visas, term loans, and that could be equipment financing, quota financing, overlaid with CALA loans uh, within the term loan product, farm mortgages. And then we're outside of the typical lending, and that's foreign exchange, letters of credit, cash management, deposits. All products are available to everybody. It's just a matter of what they need or the complexity of what they need, number of different loans, et cetera. You could have a smaller operation that looks very similar to a larger operation when it comes to lending. It's just a larger number. Some of the information that actually helps us put all this together, we have a customer that comes in and wants to borrow money, say for the first time, or uh, maybe it's my first time meeting. Typically we would look at financial statements, more years, the better. If we look at three years, it'll give us a better picture of, of how that operation has been running over the last number of years. It certainly doesn't hurt. Everybody has a budget one way or another. They have it in, on paper and in an understanding matter of what we expect to see for the business going forward. Maybe that business is growing. Maybe you're taking a different avenue. That budget certainly helps everybody, the management and lenders understand where it's going and understand how to structure it. A couple of the other things that we might look, if you're looking at mortgage financing, if you have an appraisal, if not, you might need one. It could be a a desktop one completed or an on-site appraisal. Buying something, purchase and sale agreements, that certainly helps explain what's happening. And this is for any operation. It could be for a 50 cow operation, cow-calf operation. It could be for a, a, a large feedlot. These are all the same matrix parameters that we look at. One of the big things that we talk about a lot here in the office is interest rates. You know, we deal with the advanced payments program a little bit. Obviously, the cost of borrowing is fairly cheap right now. What have you seen, particularly the movement of interest rates over the last four or five years? And then can you maybe explain, you know, what specifically, you know, we're just kind of rolling through the pandemic now, maybe some things that happened there and maybe where we expect to see some of those costs of borrowing interest rates going in the near future? Absolutely, Brad. And just before I carry on, I mean, remember, I'm not an economist and I'm not a rate strategist. I mean, I work on a on a trading desk and, you know, I'm, I'm sharing with you what I see. And these are my kind of my personal views on interest rates. And it's really interesting. I mean, before the pandemic, you know, you, we were in a situation where the difference between your, your floating rate cost of borrowing and your fixed rate of cost of borrowing was fairly flat. You had something which was called a flat yield curve which is basically the difference between your cost of borrowing on a floating rate basis all the way out to sort of 10, 15 years, there wasn't that much of a difference, right? Then the pandemic hit and interest rates dropped to the lowest they've ever been historically. For example, you could probably have, not including your credit spread, fixed your rate for about you know, 170, 160 uh, in July of last year. I mean, rates were absolutely at the lowest. So 25 years, 
plus, you know, you could be hitting 160 plus what we call a credit spread, which is specific to each client. Since then, you know, rates have jumped up between sort of uh, 50 to 100 basis points. Uh, so from 0.5% to 1% over the last year. If you recall this time last year, outlook was very bleak, you know, employment had fallen off the cliff, the economy was effectively on pause, right? And the question was, you know, how are we going to get out of this? What is the end result? There was no data on vaccines. There was no kind of line of sight to when we'd be getting out of this. Fast forward to today, almost a year actually since, you know, we saw those absolute lows and you've seen rates jump up between 50 to 100 basis points. I would say in March, it actually peaked at about 100 basis points higher sort of the five to 30 year rate. And it's since then come in about 20 to 25 basis points since then. Here are upcoming events brought to you by Dalhousie University Faculty of Agriculture. Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers. Our students learn to solve real world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dal researchers have access to cutting edge technology, labs, and resources. Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia cattle producers and Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture are jointly hosting three information sessions throughout Hans, Kings, and Lunenburg counties on May 17th and 18th, discussing the new preconditioning pilot project. Please visit nscattle.ca for additional information. Regular feeder sales occur every second Tuesday throughout the spring, with the next one occurring May 24th at 10 a.m. There will also be a breeding stock sale on May 14th at 12 p.m., Please check AtlanticStockyards.com for the full sale schedule. The Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022, the Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Both programs have application deadlines of June 30th and November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many Nova Scotia programs open for 2022. For a complete list of programs, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. How has the recent quick economic recovery impacted inflation effects on interest rates? The inflationary effects are obviously the rollout of the vaccine was was a key factor in sort of triggering this unlocking of the economy and releasing pent up consumer demand that's existing across Canada, as well as the markets building in the kind of unwind of all the stimulus that's been taking place over the last year. And so you see all these factors such as consumer demand, you know, wage inflation, supply chain issues, all pushing rates higher and higher. And between January and March was probably one of the fastest increases in rates that I've come across. Typically, my experience when you've come out of an economic crisis or an economic downturn, there's a more gradual recovery as you know employment ticks back up and growth ticks back up and inflation ticks back up. And your ability to kind of look ahead and say, okay, rates are gradually increasing. Maybe it's time for me to switch from floating to fix. And the key difference about this pandemic is I don't know if clients or people have had that runway, to use a word, whereby we effectively put the economy or economies globally were put on pause this time last year as lockdowns went into effect. But as you know, lockdowns have been unwound, it's not been a case of economies gearing up again. It's basically hitting play 
and basically resuming where we left off a year ago. So you can just see that it's a bit of a sharper takeoff than what people are expecting. And the market's really trying to wrestle at the moment between the type of inflation that we are seeing today. What type of inflation are we seeing in the market? If it's more structural inflation, you know, you tend to see rates moving a lot higher. Is it transitory inflation, i.e., so, you know, supply chain issues, for example? That's stuff that would get worked out over the year, cars being delivered and stuff like that. So that may get sort of worked through the system and maybe considered transitory and not really something to be too concerned about. And central banks are kind of moving towards this is kind of a transitory inflation type of narrative. The question I have is, you know, how much of it is transitory and how much of it is structural? I don't think the debate is completely fixed on that. But what does that mean for our clients? What does that mean for people looking to do something? We can all agree that rates are going higher. The big question is how fast and how aggressively they're going higher. The big challenge a lot of clients are having right now is the fact that you look at floating rates. So in our world, we use something called BAs or bankers acceptances, which is kind of a floating three-month interbank rate. So just like you have Prime at 245, you will have currently BAs at 43 basis points or so, and they'll go up and down based on the movement by the Bank of Canada. So the Bank of Canada hikes rates, you'll see Prime go up, you'll see BAs go up, and if the Bank of Canada goes down, you'll see Prime and BAs kind of react similarly. So when you look at sort of the interbank borrowing metric, which is sort of this BA market or uh, interbank BA market, and that's say around 43 basis points, and then you look at the sort of the basic cost of borrowing for five years, which we also call a cost of funds, but some people also call it something called a swap rate. You're looking at swap rates at very indicatively around, let's say 145, 150. That's a big difference between floating and fixed. What do we need to think about when considering a floating versus fixed rate? So it's hard for clients to get their minds around that the bank account is going to hike enough times that the hikes will equal that 150 over five years, right? Luckily, with the tough stuff that we do, we can actually go longer term. We can go 10 years, 15 years, 20 or 25 years. And that's where the story becomes a lot more interesting because on an absolute basis, you can still see 25-year rates. And this is with our, sort of our, what we call a capital charge. And you're looking at around 250 broadly, right? Plus the credit spread. When you look out beyond five years, it's actually very attractive on an absolute basis because rates are a little bit unknown. When you look at three years to five years, it's kind of you can kind of make a bit of a guesstimate about where you think the Bank of Canada is going. At the moment, you know, RBC economists are not calling for a hike till Q3 of 2022, which is not consensus. I think consensus is probably Q1 2023, I think. So when you're not expecting a hike for at least a year to a year and two or three months, and then you hike it so many times that you equal that five or five-year rate, or if you look at a three-year rate at sort of a 110 or so, that is a very steep hill to climb to make that break-even match. So really, if I was someone looking at rates now, I'd say, look at the longer term. I think that's where the value is. I think, you know, when you start looking beyond five years, and let's face it, a lot of the borrowings are 15-year amortizations. You're building a barn, you're building structure that's got 15 to 20, 25-year amortization. There are solutions out there that can give you that protection out to 25 years.
And I would look at that and say, look, there is a lot of value in that because even though there's that steepness that I'm talking about, the absolute level of rates is still really low. You should be able to sleep at night, the 25-year rate or a five-year rate of 140 or 150, as it were, right? You shouldn't be having too much trouble making things work at that space. So from that perspective, I would say rates are going up. The big question is how fast. The one thing I would say is you got to start having these conversations early. Because by the time you think rates have gone up, the market's already ahead of you, right? There are interest rate markets are no different to any other markets. They're always looking at the horizon to see where we think things are going. And one of the things we always tell our clients is don't look at your feet where you've got prime rates and floating rates. Look at where the market thinks things are going. And that should be driving your decision making. And if you have questions around it, you don't have to be all in or all out, there are ways to kind of diversify your interest rate risk profile. So you've got an interest risk cost profile that fits your risk appetite and the way you want to repay things. So Andrew, I'm going to back up a little bit here and maybe have a little bit more discussion around the uncertainty we saw last year, especially on some market changes, challenges of getting particularly some agricultural products like milk and meat processed. You know, there were a few plant shutdowns and closures. There were some transportation challenges. Did you have a lot of farmers or a lot of your farm clients, I guess, coming to you and saying, what should we be doing here in the middle of the crisis? And now that we've sorted out some of those supply chain challenges and, and got processing back on its feet and demand has kind of reverted a little bit back to the restaurant side and processing is normalized. Are we now seeing some farmers going, okay, we're through the biggest part of the chaos. What do I need to position myself for the next three to five years? And are they looking at their own internal risks assessments and the way that they operate as well? I know it's a bit of a loaded question, but. I think it's a very good question. When you're in a situation like a year ago, when we're in the midst of a pandemic and, and we didn't know what was going on or what could be done. When you're in those situations, you need to be really focusing on cash preservation. You need to ensure that if there's any redundant assets, you need to offload them. If there's anything that's going to generate you cash, you want to take advantage of it. Uh, you want to keep working capital as healthy as possible because if, say, slaughterhouses, et cetera, do shut down, how do you exist? How do you keep moving forward? We did have customers that were in those situations. What do we do as a lender? We understand exactly what they need. Everybody has to understand what, what the possible risks are and outcomes, management and their partners, and then build a plan. And quite often that plan is more money. Uh, we need a little bit more money to get us through. Building up working capital, that's increasing operating lines, overdrafts, uh, or just having a, an injection from term debt uh, that's secured with longer term uh, assets to inject in. Also, the thing about the pandemic in our area, and I'm going to focus on Atlantic Canada, we were definitely in a bubble. Those situations that did pop up quite often, the solution was rather quick. But it's also provided opportunity, growth for a lot of customers. And that's what we're looking at now is we're seeing a lot of customers looking at expansion, looking at what the next steps are. With that, you're going to understand what business they want to expand into, et cetera. Maybe it's expansion of their existing operation. The budget or projections definitely help assist with that. One of the questions we always get, or not questions I get, when I have discussions with farmers around borrowing is, you know, they're not interest rate experts or financiers like you folks, and I'm definitely not either, but they read the headlines. 
the Bank of Canada rate is going up or down and each one of the banks will shortly follow and and talk about their prime rate adjustments. And, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, well, you know, my costs or my interest rates didn't fluctuate up or down. Can you maybe just kind of summarize at a very high level of when folks who maybe aren't in the finance world every day see those headlines, you know, what does it actually mean to them and what can they expect or what shouldn't they be expecting when we see those movements up and down? So that's actually a really good question. And it's something I, uh, I spend a lot of time with clients talking about because, you know, they're saying the devil's in the details. A lot of the time when you read the paper that rates aren't moving anywhere or, you know, the Bank of Canada isn't moving rates, an immediate assumption is that it's a parallel non-move right across the board, right? So if Bank of Canada rate is not moving, that means prime's not moving, that means your five-year rate's not moving, and that means your 10-year rate's not moving. That is sometimes a perception that I come across by, by clients, right? There's always this surprise when I say, well, actually, your five-year has moved up a lot, 10-year has moved up a lot or moved down a lot. And I have to take clients a, a step back and say, listen, when, when we're talking about the overnight rate, you know, you're looking at what's happening in the past, right? The Bank of Canada is reacting to economic data and is giving potentially guidance on where they think things are going. So arguably, the five and 10-year rates are what the market, what people who are buying and selling interest rates think the economy is going to look like over five or 10 years and making assumptions about where you know, the Bank of Canada is going to take its rates over the next five years. Good example, overnight rate and prime fell to 245 and 25 basis points, respectively, last year. Five-year rates and 10-year rates have gone up almost 100 basis points in that time. A classic example where, you know, I've had clients come up to me like, I don't get it. Why, why are five-year rates moving up? The overnight rate hasn't moved away. Because the overnight rate is reflective of where we are today. It's the way of thinking, if you think of the overnight rate and your prime rate as looking at your feet, and five-year rates and 10-year rates are looking at the horizon. That's where we think things are going to be. You know, if you were to... Look at a five-year rate today and a floating rate today, and you fast forward five years, that five-year rate five years from now should be equal to how many times that floating rate moved up over five years. I tell clients, when you get a five-year rate or a 10-year rate, you got to say to yourself, don't think of it as a five-year fixed rate. Think of it, that's where I think the floating rate's going to be on average over the next five years. Well, the floating rate's going to be on average over the next 10 years, because that immediately tries to tell you where do I think the Bank of Canada is going? In my early example, I told you, you know, the floating rate on what we call BAs or bankers acceptance is 40 basis points, and the five-year cost of borrowing or what we call a swap rate is 140. What I'm saying to you is that on average, I think that 40 basis points is going to go up quite a few times to equal an average of 140. So if someone's sitting here, I'm saying, well, that means that we expect the Bank of Canada, the market. And the market can be wrong. I can be sure about one thing. It's not going to be 140 on average. But at this point in time, with the information that we know, we're going to be saying, well, we think that the Bank of Canada has to hike quite a few times to equal an average of 140 over the next five years. And that informs you how, to, how things. So be always careful when you're parsing that information from the newspaper, because a lot of the time they're just talking about what the Bank of Canada is doing. So what's the state of the economy right now? And the numbers that you may see on that is just related to what things are right now. When you're looking at five or 10 year rates, you're looking at to what, you know, what we're expecting things to look like in the future. And that's how I try to kind of frame that conversation. Here's the Market Report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. 
Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the weekend at May 6, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.46 per kilogram, down 6.7 cents from last week. In Ontario, base was down 6.7 cents from last week to a price of $2.37 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.04 per kilogram, up 7 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price Atlantic beef products was $2.88 on the rail, an increase of 5 cents from the previous week. In Ontario, live steer sold for $1.71, moving down two cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $3.03, up one cent from last week. Call cattle, Atlantic Stockyard sold for $0.93, cents, a downward change of six cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.81, down two cents from last week. Calls in Ontario were flat at $0.93 cents and $0.87 cents in Quebec, moving down three cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic Stockyards averaged $123, up $6. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $208, down $6 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down 32 cents to a price of $2.22 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $2.79, a drop of 16 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at North Arma Lamb is $15 per kilogram and mutton sits at $6.50. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs averaged 4.38 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $3.20 to 5.60. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged 4.16 at 72 pounds, ranging from 3.20 to 5.19. Used at Atlantic stockyards range from 135 to 220 dollars, averaging 192 dollars. And in Ontario, used average $1.77 and a half at 150 pounds, ranging from 70 cents to $2.70. Make sure you check your association's websites for additional pricing information. And Andrew, when you're out in the field and, and you're working through a credit agreement or you're working through some financing with producers, how do you explain that to them? And maybe how does that change or how could it change whether or not you're going to do maybe five or, or seven or 10 years or 10 or 15 years if it's a new barn or a new piece of equipment and to maximize your, your the bank's yield because as a shareholder in RBC, I like when you guys make money, but obviously you guys are working with producers to keep their costs as low as possible. So how do you all bounce that all out when you're sitting at the in the office or at the kitchen table with some folks? What you have to do is understand exactly what that producer wants to do. Do they have goals of expanding further? Do they have a very healthy cash flow? All these questions play into what you recommend for fixed rates. Selecting a, a fixed rate is risk mitigation. You're, you're eliminating chances of you having ebbs and flows and in interest rates. And to me, it's, it's a good practice to do, especially when you're in a capital intensive industry like farming is. So if you have a producer that is very tight cash flow and they, they don't want to expand, Maybe look at long-term rates. Typically what we do with a regular term loan, mortgage, term loans, you go five years, mortgages, you can go up to 10. And then beyond that, we talk to uh, my partner like John, who can offer longer term rates from that, which are categorized as interest rate swaps with, with the BA. But we look at all options. 
We also look at, you don't necessarily want to have all your debt coming up for renewal at the same time. If you have three-year rates right now, and in three years, we're going to have a peak, and then it's going to drop back down, it's really not a good way to mitigate risk. Quite often, you might want to have something that's maybe variable or one-year, something that's longer term. If you are a producer that has not a lot of debt and tremendous cash flow, maybe you want to float it. I've seen that as well. So you might take floated at prime-based or maybe in a, on a 30 or 90-day VA, and it gives you the flexibility on restructuring. If opportunities come up, you can take that loan, no penalties to break it if it's floating, and wrap it up into a different package. That really allows, it puts the business owner in the driver's seat. What are the things that you just kind of briefly touched on there that I'd maybe like just to spend a minute chatting about if we could is making sure not all of your renewals are due at the same time. One of the other things I've seen, especially with a lot of beef guys, is making sure that your annual payments or your quarterly payments are due at a time when you're actually going to have the cash to to make those payments, right? So particularly if I'm thinking about a cow-calf guy or maybe even a sheep producer, they primarily only have a couple of paydays a year. So it's important to me, or at least I think it's important that if you're going to sell your calves in October, it doesn't make any sense to have all your payments due in May. You know what? This is actually one of my favorite parts of working in the agricultural space because the solution that I work on It's not a plain Jane kind of fixed rate term loan type of thing. It's a very flexible, customizable solution that really accommodates what you've just been talking about. And one of the parts that we've been growing and evolving over the last sort of 10, 15 years is not waiting until we're told, hey, I need a fixed rate term loan and it's amortizing monthly. You make your payments, whether or not it makes sense as you put it, you know, your payments, you know, you have two or three payment events a year. Why are you making me pay monthly or or biweekly or whatever, right? And one of the great things that we've been doing is we engage with a client a lot earlier in the process. So one of the things I love, Andrew's already talking to clients right up front saying, hey, this is what we're thinking. His understanding, again, you know, their engagement with the agriculture sector is such they understand that, you know, whether it's beef or lamb, that you do have two or three payments events. So we're able to structure repayment of principle in a way that actually matches the actual incoming cash flow. Likewise, I remember actually out, out west, there was a dairy farm that I, I worked with, and they were purchasing another dairy farm that wasn't quite up to scratch in terms of, and forgive me, I'm not the agriculture expert, but you know there was a bunch of technology that they wanted to upgrade that new dairy farm to that hadn't been quite installed. And one of the things they said, they weren't going to be getting the revenue that they kind of anticipated in the first year or year and a half. So, you know, we were able to structure something where they had interest only for a portion of time. And then it converted into a repayment of principal in a manner that made sense for them. But within that one structure, they just paid one rate. So it wasn't floating rate loan for a year where it could fluctuate and then a take out. It was just one rate on an interest-only piece followed by a takeout piece. Uh, and likewise, we, you know, we, uh, there was an opportunity whereby someone's buying about $50 million worth of cattle in November, and they sell it in May, right? So you borrow for six months of the year, and then for the other balance of the six months, you don't borrow anything, right? So you may not want to just pay your floating prime base rate for six months because over five years, that prime rate might go higher or lower, and you really have a hard time identifying what that, you know, what's your cost in two or three years' time? So we're actually able to structure something where by those six months for the following five years, they just paid one rate instead of prime. 
So these are the kind of things that we've kind of evolved. And, you know, honestly, it's one of the fun parts of sort of looking at cash flows. And obviously, this comes with, you know, we need to get our internal risk approvals. And it has to make sense. I mean, we can't just draw up unicorns in terms of how we want to do this. But it is one of the fun parts. What you're stating has to make sense. It's exactly it. If we have a customer come to us and they have a, a structure that they feel is a unique structure, but it matches their cash flow, that's exactly what we want to do. It's no different than when we get our personal paychecks. We might get paid every week or every two weeks. Why is our mortgage and car payment on a, on a monthly payment? Really, I think those payments should be adjusted to what your paycheck is. No different than our customers. Much bigger dollars, most cases. If they get paid twice a year, once a year, in case of, of blueberries, maybe those payments should be at the time they're getting paid or maybe a couple of weeks later just to ensure that the, the cash is in the account. Have your banking products really changed to be more flexible over time, You know, to be responsive to individual customer needs, or have they actually been more standardized as far as number of products, but flexible within those products? How have products no. changed to reflect, especially in agriculture, how diverse the overall industry is? And even some different challenges within, especially when we talk about like the beef sector, there's a big difference between a feedlot operator who ships 100 beef every month versus a guy or a gal that has 50 calves they ship in on October 10th and November 10th because that's what they do. For the most part, the products have not changed. The flexibility or what we can do with the products have changed. When we look at I listed them off before, but you look at your regular working capital, your visa and overdrafts, they are what they are. Uh, visa products do change based on what clientele and customers would like. When we get into term loans and mortgages, they have become more flexible. Our term loans, amortizations have increased depending on what assets we're looking at. And typically you match that asset with the, with the amortization of the loan. So if that asset's going to wear out in seven years, you don't put it over 10. But another thing that we've done is we've actually, and this is a number of years ago, come up with revolving term loans, come up with interest-only options in mortgage financing, just flexibility on what can be done and what customers need their products tailored to. It's not a one-fits-all. Quite often, you sit and you understand exactly what they need, and sometimes you have to actually build the product to fit them. But if we go back 20 years ago and fast forward to today, we're looking at uh, some other products that we actually offer a full suite of cash management that allows our customers to do online transactions, get away from checks, get away from cash, more immediate, user-friendly, and foreign exchange is becoming more and more prevalent. Our customers need it. Their, their, their businesses are growing, and they can do those transactions online. Online uh, letters of credit. The other products that we looked at that we never had before or we never really focused on is a group retirement package for businesses and their employees. That also includes registered pension plans. So products have changed. Banking has changed. It's not just the typical, in quotes, loan officer we, we once were. It's a, it's a full suite of products that our, our customers require. Look, guys, I think I've taken up enough of your time today. I definitely appreciate your insight. I'm not sure if you have any kind of closing comments or any final messages that you'd have for our listening community, but I, I'd appreciate those before we wrap up here. If anybody ha has any questions, we're not hard to get a hold of. It's just a matter of coming into any branch, asking for the business or agricultural specialist, and that might come to me or any of my colleagues, but we will definitely put you in front of the banker that best suits you and provide the advice that you need. Well, thank you very much. Again, I appreciate your time, and Andrew knows that I like to talk, especially about farm finances, so 
if there's anything else we want to talk about in the future, don't hesitate to contact us and uh, we'll record another one of our conversations. So thanks very much, gents. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.